All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Bennett Kelly, the Internet Law Center,
uh, the victim, Ms. Um, Liam Sipsack, came to us, and uh, she was the victim of revenge porn. She was in a, uh, a relationship with her boyfriend years ago, and they took pictures of one another. They were consensual, and the boyfriend kept the photos. Uh, years later, they broke up, and then a few years later, uh, those photos got into the hand of the jealous new girlfriend of that old boyfriend. And those photos went up onto a fake website that was in the name of my client, the plaintiff. And uh, these new photos, um, and I should say they're nude explicit photos, uh, they were all placed on this, this fake Facebook page and there were friend requests that were sent out to my client's friends, relatives, and they were also uploaded onto her work's Facebook page. Uh, so uh, it, it was a horrible situation, but I think many people have heard this before because it's a, unfortunately a fact scenario that's becoming more and more common where you have, um, it's, it's usually ex-boyfriends, uh, um, uh, attempting to hurt their ex-girlfriends um, to, to exact revenge and to inflict severe emotional distress by publishing nude and explicit photos that were taken consensually years before. I actually had a case almost identical, but the only thing different was that uh, it, was, it was the boyfriend, as you mentioned, and um, except he was, a, he was a seaman, and he um, spent 90% of his time in international waters. So it really made going after him difficult. So um, let's talk about how, so do you have much difficulty identifying who, who was responsible? We did not. I mean, first we went to Facebook and we got IP addresses for all the posts, and um, and we also pretty much knew who was most most likely behind it. I mean, the ex-boyfriend had exclusive possession of the photos, and there were some there were some statements from the new girlfriend defendant that uh, right before the incident that led us to believe that she was about to do something pretty hateful and revengeful. Uh, so, uh, but but the, the IP addresses that we obtained, obtained from Facebook really uh, uh, closed the book on that issue, and that that was that was really wasn't in dispute. So you you, you bring a lawsuit, and, it, and and these in this area, you know, so often you know, that's the biggest hurdle is um, they they come to you, they want you to help, and and you want, but they also. They're reluctant to litigate just because that, that's another further public um, kind of you know, announcement of this situation. And so was it hard to get them to, to litigate? You know, that was, that's a real dilemma for a lot of women out there who are victims of revenge porn. And uh, uh, it was a, a, a difficult decision, but in the end, um, our client thought it was best to move forward. Uh, it, what's interesting is that Assembly Member Bob Wykowski in California here has introduced a bill just a couple weeks ago for a, um, a, a revenge porn civil statute. And in this bill, uh, one of the things that it provides is the ability for victims uh, of revenge porn to move forward on an anonymous basis. In other words, a uh, 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 pseudonymous basis. In other words, a Jane Doe. So instead of your name as, uh, as the plaintiff, you would be Jane Doe. 
Um, there's also, you know, the possibility that you could that you could even without this statute, this new bill that may become a statute, uh, you could maybe still proceed as a as a Jane Doe. But there are procedural issues with that, and it can be challenged by by defendants. So you're right. This is a this is a, a big decision because you really a lot of these victims don't want to draw any more attention to what happened to them, especially you know for professional reasons. Uh, uh, and complaints can be on the internet for many years, and and when people interview for new jobs, you know one of the first things that potential employers do is do a Google search, and if a complaint pops up with all this information about this dispute, new photos, that may not may not bode well. No, you know, for 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 that person getting a job. So the flip side is that once you file the lawsuit. And you had to take this to trial. Why, why would the other side try to fight it? Well, uh, the other side did fight it, and, 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 and we did take it to trial, and, and we had 12 jurors um, that heard all of the evidence, and they, they returned a verdict of $250,000. Uh, I personally think it should have been over a million. Um, um, How are they measuring the damages? Is this is this the damages are... That's correct. The damages were only emotional distress damages. And that's what's sort of unique about these cases is that, I mean, I, I guess you could have um, some sort of physical manifestation of emotional distress, but in many cases you don't. You have horrible humiliation. You have professional careers that are ruined. Uh -huh. uh, you have personal relationships that are, if not ruined, changed forever because of these photos that are that are published about about uh, victims. So, and so, so, so going back to the, the statute that the gentleman was working on, it, it was the issue was was proving emotional distress a, a burden in this case. That's a that's a good question because when you look at how we proceeded you know, proceeded with our lawsuit and how. That this bill is structured. The, 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 this bill, if it becomes a law, would make it easier for women to come forward and, and litigate these cases because we pled the case as um, a case of intentional infliction of emotional distress, and that that emotional distress needs to be severe emotional distress. And there's special jury instructions that the jurors get about how it has to has to be something no one should be expected to suffer in any sort of civilized society. And if you look at the bill, this proposed bill, um, it's just emotional distress, not severe emotional distress. Uh, so that's, I think it would make it easier if this law was passed. And we, we did also plead negligence claims as well as intrusion into privacy. And uh, in the, in, in, in the jurors um, gave us a verdict on both of the privacy claims. Uh, and and with on negligence, the the jury found that the ex boyfriend was negligent because he allowed the photos to get into the hands of his jealous new girlfriend, and and then the, the, this new girlfriend, Ms. Rodell, uh, she um, <clears throat> she was found liable on the on the privacy uh, claims uh, and punitive damages for sixty thousand dollars. So the the two hundred fifty thousand uh, is that include the punitives or is that? Um, was that two hundred fifty thousand in emotional distress damages? It was um, uh, two hundred. Well, the way it was broken down, it was a hundred thousand dollars for negligence against the ex-boyfriend, and uh, it was 
um, $30,000, actually take it back, $70,000 for intrusion into privacy, uh, Twenty uh, regarding the, the, the um, new girlfriend, Ms. Rodell, uh, $20,000 verdict, negligence regarding Ms. Rodell, and then $60,000 in punitive damages against Ms. Rodell. So that's a total of $250,000, so $100,000 regarding the ex-boyfriend never uploaded anything, supposedly. Just, you know, didn't safeguard the photos. And then $150,000 against this new girlfriend who actually did the uploading. Now, um, two questions, one kind of trivial, but are they still together? <laughs> I believe they are, but this is obviously something that can put some stress on relationship. I, I was thinking just that. But the other is that it seems that was was there um, was the timing of this such that it came before the impersonation statute went into effect? Uh, the uh, the the timing was interesting. First off, the the jury started deliberating on Valentine's Day. <laughs> sort of uh, interesting, but regarding the time of statutes, um, there is a revenge porn criminal statute in California. And the facts of this case, I mean, they essentially happened in 2012, happened before the criminal statute was passed. So that didn't come into play. Uh, even if, the, if, 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 if it did happen after that criminal statute, it wouldn't really apply here because the criminal statute only applies to the people who take, take the photos and then upload them. And here, here the person that took the photos wasn't uploading them. But there's, uh, there's also the Smithian um, bill that went into law a couple, a couple years ago on e-personation, you know, when they, when they created the Facebook page that, of, of her, you know, um, was that available or was that just not It was available. That's um, California Penal Code 528.5, which is, we call it credible impersonation. And it's a criminal statute. However, there's a civil claim for relief within the statute. And we pled that. And the and we pled it because there was a Facebook page created in the name of our client with a photo of our client um, as the profile photo. So when people got friend requests from this fake account, it had our client's name, it had our client's photo. And many of these people who got the friend requests accepted the friend requests. Right. So our theory was the, the impersonation was credible because people accepted the friend requests. Surprisingly, the jury disagreed on that claim. Really? That, 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 that uh, people should, um, should not, uh, reasonable people would not have believed that the, uh, the, the, the defendant was really the plaintiff uh, when, they, when they received the, the friend request. So we were shocked that the, the, the jury would think like that because we thought, that we had absolute proof that, that it was reasonable because we had actual people who accepted the friend request, but perhaps the jury was thinking that, that maybe something was off um, because they were already friends with, with, with our client, and there was another friend request. And, and, um, but, so, but, but the point is, uh, it, it, it shows you how there is sort of a need for uh, a revenge porn a statute, civil statute, because what we did is we pled a variety of common law torts, uh, as well as this this incredible impersonation statutory violation. But we were sort of creating this patchwork of of claims 
to try to address something that's, that had really unique facts right. uh, in, 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 in involving social media and the Internet, and we're trying to apply these torts that have been around for over 100 years in California and other states, intentional infliction of emotional distress, et cetera. So it, sometimes they just don't fit right. Um, they don't fit just right. So that's why I think uh, a revenge porn statute would be helpful. How how was the jury in, in terms of uh, dealing with this type of issue? Uh, how uh, and were you able to screen for just people who had some familiarity with social media, or were there some, um, for lack of a better word, troglodytes on the panel? Uh, we were able to do that. In fact, I asked all the jurors if they knew what Facebook was, if they if they had Facebook accounts, if they ever received friend requests, if they ever sent friend requests. And uh, it, everybody who ended up on the jury was familiar with Facebook. Some of them didn't have accounts, but family members had accounts, and they were familiar with what friend requests were. So that actually was not an issue, just understanding the technology. To our knowledge, it wasn't an issue. But, but it was because we were very careful to, um, to screen for people that had some familiarity um, with Facebook and social media during our wide year process, which is when you're allowed to ask questions to the jury. Now, you, it, one problem that comes up in this area is the, the blame the victim. And, uh, you know, well, what, what were you doing having naked pictures? You know, um, you know, girlfriend, the answer is just, you know, keep your clothes on. And how, how, was it, how did the jury react when, obviously, these pictures had to be put into evidence? It was really difficult. It was really difficult. In fact, there were some potential jurors that, that were excused. not They were not um, impaneled um, into the jury because they felt uncomfortable in that highly emotional situation um, of being able to having to look at the photos. Uh, I don't think that the, the, the jurors wanted to look at the photos. Uh, our, you know, our, our client was going through an extremely emotional time during the trial testifying and it, it was really, it was, it was riveting and so um, emotional, that experience, um, that uh, I don't think the jurors would ever want to do it, want to do it again in one of these cases because um, it, it's easy just to talk about it like we are now, but when you really get down to analyzing the relationships involved, um, that, that have, have sort of been built up for many years, especially family relationships, and how this sort of thing can affect them. It, it's highly emotional. Now, you, you had certain claims against the defendants involving negligence. Did that trigger any insurance coverage on their part? You know, would it, would it, would, was uh, the insurance funding their defense at all? It was not. Um, that would have been nice, but um, it was not... Uh, there was insurance, some homeowners insurance, but the defendants uh, forgot to pay the bill. And there's a lesson. Yes. And um, so, um, what is the deadline for them to appeal? It's uh, it, it's coming up here um, in the next couple weeks. Uh, it's un yeah, it's unclear if they, if they are going to appeal. Um, we'll, we'll know here, um, as I said, in the next few weeks whether or not there are any post-trial motions or notices of appeal that are filed. 
So we'll look at a short break. When we come back, we'll have more from Carl Cronenberger on this important case and revenge porn. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report, only on Webmaster Radio. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report. After this brief recess for our sponsors. And events. There are many things we would love to catch. Catching the final out of a baseball game. And that's the ball game. Reeling that big catch of the day. Or catching a ride home. Catching! How about catching more attention like the biggest retail brands on earth? Introducing Catchy.com, where they sell short-branded, attractive.com domain names. Use a short and catchy brand, just like Sony, Visa, and Nike for your next business venture. You can even rent to own for as low as $100 a month. Catch a big break for your business with Catchy.com. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. They're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google Health files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Mike Edis. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what annual-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Welcome to SEO 101, your introductory course on search engine optimization. So, turn on your computers, open your minds, grab your mouse, and get ready to get back to the basics. SEO 101. On demand anytime inside the Search Engine Optimization Channel only on WebmasterRadio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back and we're talking to Carl Kornberger about his impressive victory in um, getting a quarter billion dollar judgment in a revenge porn case. And, and Carl, you know, over the years, I guess, or maybe just the last two years, how frequent do you get calls now on revenge porn versus maybe two years ago? We, we are getting a lot more people contacting, contacting us over the last few years. Uh, I think that, unfortunately, it's been sort of a, uh, a trend where uh, people, you know, were really thinking about um, the ability to, to hurt someone in this way. Um, it, it's uh, it, it's interesting how sort of, uh, sort of how people have certain morals in their regular life, but they have other morals when it's on the web. They feel right. that they they're sort of invincible and, and bulletproof. If if they can do something that's sort of, that's relatively anonymous on the web, and unfortunately, there's been a trend where people have been using 
photos and other things to, to hurt people and invade people's privacy as a way to extort people or to take revenge upon people. And because of that, there have been websites that have been created just for the purpose of revenge porn. And, and, and um, uh, as a response to that, you are seeing um, more criminal statutes. I think there are three states now that have criminal revenge porn statutes. And then you're also seeing litigation. You're seeing victims fight back, like, like in, in our case. And, you know, we actually had some of the victims involved in some of the, the Texas and Florida um, litigation uh, on our show a couple months back. And, you know, I got to tell you, they were just impressive women in terms of the, the, you know, the, the guts they had shown. And, and um, you know, they, they would have, they basically were floored. And they picked themselves up and, uh, and they fought back. And they kind of came back stronger and more confident than before. Um, so how is your client at the end of all this? Uh, our client was, I think, mostly concerned with making certain that these defendants and other people out there know that this is just wrong and that this is not acceptable behavior. Now, you, you, you can see what's happening in a lot of high school environments these days, and there's a lot of really hateful, vicious things going on, and there's a lot of the revenge porn type activities among among kids, and unfortunately, that's sort of forming the way that um, these people think as they grow older. And I, I, so, it's important that we have court cases uh, like this that, to show people that this is absolutely wrong, that it's not appropriate in any way for any civil rights society, and if you do it, you will pay dearly in a civil way and perhaps even criminal sanctions. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a, you're talking about high school students. You know, there you're talking about, you know, child pornography all of a sudden. And that, that's right. That's right. But, but I, I'm, I'm also just concerned about the, the fact that uh, a lot of high schoolers may be um, sort of uh, desensitized to a lot of these revenge porn issues because in high school there is so much sexting and other activity that's going on where um, where you've got forms of revenge porn at that level which and, and there are often no consequences and that does not um, that that is not helpful when it comes to sort of forming people's you know opinions and morals about like what is right and what is wrong right. in society so that's why I think that it's, it's 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 women fighting back through litigation and prosecutors bringing revenge porn um, claims uh, against defendants, that's important to show people that this is just flat out wrong and it should not be happening, and there are huge penalties if you do it. Now, are you finding, if you had any interactions with prosecutors on this at all, and are you finding them to be receptive, or um, you know, sometimes in cyber issues there's a, a kind of a reluctance to, to get involved, it seems? There is, there is a reluctance to get involved. Uh, I think that where you do see uh, prosecutors getting involved is when the revenge porn is in conjunction with a number of other threats and stalking behavior, and then you've got uh, uh, civil uh, temporary restraining orders that are issued, uh, and we, there are a number of, uh, of those sort of cases out there that I've heard of and followed. Um, but unfortunately, it's 
it's usually not to the point where there's some potential threat of potential violence when prosecutors are getting involved. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's probably tough at this point to get prosecutors involved in just the sort of um, generic <laughs> revenge porn fact scenario. Right. Where there's, there's, there's no threat to do any physical harm. The, 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 the intent was only to harm some, someone emotionally. And that, that's the hard part. It, it seems the prosecutors, they, they want that, that threat element. Because part of it is statutory, too. Now, in going, and, and we only have a few minutes left, but going to the, the statute, it would seem that, you know, in, you can borrow from defamation. In defamation, there are certain things that are just so bad that um, damages are presumed, you know, um, per se defamation. And it couldn't, wouldn't that be an appropriate thing to borrow here in the statute? I mean, if someone's posting nude pictures of you, you can't can't you presume emotional distress? I think that you can. I think you can presume that there's emotional distress to the extent that you may not need to require that the that the emotional distress is severe. The problem is, people are all different. People have different lives. People. Some people may be more sensitive. To certain things than other people. Some people have more to lose. Um, a investment banker that's making a million dollars a year and has um, has this happen to her, um, uh, where she's the victim and 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 she maybe loses out on millions and millions of dollars. Uh, you know, over the course of you know the next five years, that may be very different than someone with maybe some you know, administrative job or, or a job where they're, they're not being paid that much because there, there are all these different factors that, that go into jurors thinking about what the, the damage is. Right. Um, so, um, so I think that statutory damages would be difficult to, 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 to sort of work into the statute, and they actually aren't in the, in, in the draft bill here. Uh, I... I uh, the, uh, I think what's important, though, is that the way the bill is written, and I think there'll, there'll probably be other bills, bills in other states, there, there is a presumption that this is um, horrendous activity. This is, this is wrong. It's morally wrong. And there's a presumption that it's wrong so that you can use these statutes and then you don't need to jump through all the different hoops of these of proving a common law tort. For example, with intentional official emotional distress, you need to prove that something is outrageous. And there's all this case law in, in every state as to what conduct is outrageous. And if you don't prove the conduct is outrageous, you lose. Right. Now, if, 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 you, if, you, if you proceed under a statute, the re, revenge porn statute, that just assumes that it's outrageous, it makes it easier for victims to prosecute their, their, their cases in civil courts. Well, um, if people want to learn more about your, your practice, Carl, where should they go? Uh, they uh, should go to our website at krinternetlaw.com. Um, and I'm also at carlkrennenberger.com. And I'd be happy to uh, talk to anybody that's, you know, suffering through this, this sort of um, situation. Way it, was, it was different for our firm because our firm usually is involved in business business litigation involving Internet and technology, but we ventured out and took this, this unique case because we just thought it was the right thing to do. I'm glad you did it. Thank you very much, Carl. I appreciate you having me on. 
and I uh, hope you'll come back again for your next victory. Uh, thank you, Ben. And um, so there have been a number of other um, major stories on the Internet in terms of some recent opinions. And one that, has, that people are talking a lot about is the recent Ninth Circuit opinion on um, involving the Innocence of Muslims video and um, YouTube. You may recall we, um, there was a, a brief video, it was kind of like a 12-minute preview that was done in connection of this, this movie supposedly called The Innocence of Muslims that was placed on YouTube and it triggered riots throughout the Middle, Middle East and ultimately was being one of the contributing factors to the Benghazi riots um, that, that proved so tragic. And um, the, the, the video is completely outrageous. It's very poor quality, but um, you know, it depicts, um, you know, um, it, it depicts um, Allah, Allah. It depicts um, Muhammad as being you know, this, this lurid child, child molester, and um, it's very um, blasphemous from a you know, from a Muslim perspective. And um, there was an actress who has a very small um, part in this. I mean, she's only on for a half a minute of this twelve-minute clip, and. She originally filmed uh, a, a part for the producer in, in an unrelated um, segment and unrelated to this film. And they converted that segment and they redubbed it um, and to put it into this you know, anti-Islamic film. And um, she sued for copyright infringement. She said that they're using her performance and you know, recharacterizing it uh, for this purpose, it was a, a matter of copyright infringement. And then since she had received death threats because of it, that therefore she was, um, you know, she needed this to be taken down. And it went all the way up to the Ninth Circuit, and um, the Ninth Circuit actually ordered Google to take it down. Um, despite the highly questionable nature of the claim, um, it, uh, it really isn't a claim that an actor performance can, can up, is, is copyrightable. I mean, there's really concern that if this isn't immediately reversed, you're going to have all these different actors um, claiming a copyright interest <coughs> in um, various performances out there since if the contracts they signed didn't cover this. And, uh, and so, in any event, usually when you have a ruling that calls for some kind of injunctive relief or, or requires something to be taken down, you know, there's one requirement is you have to show a likelihood of success on the merits. And then there's a balancing. And um, here, the court just, you know, um, skipped the, the, the question of likelihood of success and it appears to have gone and, and didn't even really engage in any balancing. It just said, well, copyright trumps First Amendment, and that, that's the balance we're going to take. And the opinion um, has been widely criticized that the Ninth Circuit would actually reach this conclusion in order you know, YouTube to take the video down. Um, you know, the dissent was quite vocal that there's no case does copyright and protection extend to acting performances. And then the um, other commentators were just severe in their criticism. Um, for example, um, none other than none better than our, our this show's friend uh, Eric Goldman, a professor at Santa Clara 
who said this opinion sucks rotten, rotten eggs. It is so terrible that there's simply no point trying to make sense of it. I'm fascinated by well-meaning folks who have tried to treat it as a serious statement of the law. It is not. It is a one-off hack of the law, and treating it as anything more will take you um, towards insanity. And um, so he clearly wasn't hedging his, his um, viewpoint there. Um, others have been similarly, equally damning. Um, for example, um, Lee Rowland, a Mike of Tector, who's done this show, said almost everything about Kaczynski's ruling here is troubling. The copyright interpretation just seems very far out of bounds with just about everything to do with copyright law. Um, it will create tremendous problems for the film industry. The First Amendment implications of both the takedown and gag order are similarly troubling. Um, Lee Rowland of the ACLU, however painful his experience has been for Garcia, the solution cannot be to censor all access to movie that's at the heart of a global debate about policy and politics. Um, so it's really troubling that this has gone forward. Um, there's going to be a motion by Google to have the opinion reconsidered or heard on bond by the Ninth Circuit. And um, so that is that just came down last week. Um, also going on at the same time is we're continuing to have fallout from the target data breach, which has now become one of the largest data breaches in history. And um, we're also learning that target was warned of the risk and, and actually chose, firmly chose not to take action. Um, and so it becomes part of a recurring theme that we've talked about on this show, and that theme is of the lack of really a market incentive to address um, cybersecurity. And, um, but maybe this might be the case that changes that because we're seeing actually targets having serious financial repercussions because of this. Their sales have dropped off significantly um, in, in since the breach. And now we have Attorney General Holder has stepped forward. Um, they are investigating targeted for their actions. But he has called for Congress to create a national standard, you know, a single national data breach law. Right now we have about like, 46 states that have data breach laws. But there's various levels of you know, requirements imposed and protections. And um, given the, the nature of what's involved, um, it makes sense, I think, to have one single standard for data breaches. And it actually, industry is receptive to that because, as you know, I mentioned, having to comply with 46 um, different state laws is never easy under any circumstances. So, um, you know, this is something that's really starting to crescendo. Um, and maybe this, will, this is the Davies moment. This is the moment that people realize um, this needs to be taken more seriously. In 2011, a survey of um, you know, leading um, companies in, in North America um, and, and the CEOs, they asked, you know, are you doing enough on cybersecurity? And only 13% said yes. You know, 87% of the CEOs were aware that they weren't doing enough and were comfortable with that. And you know, maybe the target reach will lead to that changing. Now, uh, on a slightly lighter note, um, a, study, uh, a survey in the Los Angeles Times today, um, I believe today, um, done by VoucherCloud.net, 
and testing awareness of consumers of terms that we use on the show all the time and to see how they are. And so the headline grabbing one, 11% of the respondents think that HTML is essentially transmitted disease. And so if someone ever tells you to eradicate HTML, you know they're one of those 11%. But it's Remember, he was, uh, he was a brilliant, brilliant comic, comic and, and, uh, 
Um, um, we'll be, we'll be lost far too, far too soon. So, so we'll be back. We'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and your business report. Stay tuned, Stay tuned for, for more of the Cyber, cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Why do Why over, over 15,000 small businesses work with Infusionsoft? Infusion Infusion Soft? Because, because we, we believe in people and, and their dreams. We empower entrepreneurs and our groundbreaking breaking tools help small businesses grow and thrive. We listen. We care. We serve our customers and we do what we say we'll do. We're always trying to find new ways to innovate and to improve our all-in-one sales and marketing platform. Most of all, from email to e-commerce, we help businesses Looking for looking a white, for a white, white label, label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. Twitter management, analytics, and multi-site generators. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white label dashboards, which have great reports that will allow your clients to deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-655-7717. That's with a Z for eBrands. Most of, most of you don't know talk show. I'm also an author, author, actor, actor, single father, father four, avid, avid snowboarder, and I'm also, and I'm also a medical marijuana, marijuana patient. Living with, living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in every day. Medical, medical marijuana is my last, last resort, resort and it helps me when all, all other drugs have failed. If you'd like, if you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpmpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-PP. Um, we, we, 
we do we have, do have some sadness here, here uh, with, with our, our community, community here. And, and uh, uh, oh, oh, one person has been very, very good to the show, and Eric, Eric Goldman. And he's, um, he's, he's the, 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 the head of the Anaconda Law School on High, high Technology, technology um, division, division they have there. there. And, and um, he, he, um, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's been, been a, a leading um, mentor and sexual many many years in the law. But unfortunately, unfortunately uh, he announced that, that his, his wife, wife has been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And, and, and I, 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 I mentioned this for a couple of weeks for those of you who may know Eric and know his wife and family. But more importantly, I mentioned it because actually... Um, um, the, the, she, she never smoked, smoked. And, and I think about 20% of, of lung, lung cancer cases now um, are for people who have never smoked. smoked. And, and if you never, never smoked, smoked um, the problem that you have is so often the symptoms are not um, evident. And if you don't know what they are, they get discovered way too late. And uh, the survival rate for um, lung cancer is dramatically lower than the survival rate for any other of the major cancers. And so um, Eric has just been hit with this um, um, learning of this very recently. And um, so to come and have this, and um, so I want to let you know I have a blog post at ilccyberreport.com, and um, there is some information about um you know, Eric and his wife and their fight, she has a blog where um, she's talking about her condition and also about raising awareness. And um, and so that's the one thing I urge all of you to do is, is to check out her blog. Um, but more importantly, um, you know, when, you, when you get a physical, become aware of what those conditions are, what those symptoms are. Um, you know, this is a, a very important thing. And... Um, you hate to see people, good people, lost uh, when things, if they were, could be captured, um, lives could be saved. And that's what his wife is trying to do now, is trying to raise awareness to make sure that people uh, understand what those symptoms are. And unfortunately, for um, cancer, in the area of lung cancer, you know, since so often the, the, the people who suffer from it are smokers, there's kind of a, a blame the the victim thing that, you know, we actually see somewhat in, in um, cyber and in, um, in revenge porn cases as well. But, um, and so there's actually, there's a campaign down actually trying to um, combat that. And, uh, but, you know, most people know that smoking causes cancer but may not realize how many non-smokers get lung cancer every year. 16,000 to 24,000 Americans die of lung cancer even though they never smoked. In fact, lung cancer and non-smokers had its own separate, if it was its own separate category, would rank among the 10 um, most fatal cancers in the United States. And um, some also, also um, sources of um, carcinogens that can cause lung cancer for non-smokers are radon gas, secondhand smoke, and then uh, other you know, cancer-causing agents at work Air pollution, obviously an issue for those of us in here in Southern California, as well as gene mutations. And uh, so try to become aware, if you can, of what those are. 
and um, because it's you know cancer is just a, such a devastating thing, um, and uh, you know our heart goes out to, to Eric and his wife and family as they they suffered through this. Um, his wife's blog is um, lisa.ericgoldman.org, and it's every breath you t- every breath I take. Um, and she said lung cancer takes more lives than breast, prostate, and colon cancers combined. One in 14 people will be diagnosed with lung cancer. Nearly 80% of new lung cancer cases are former or never smokers. And uh, the survival rate of lung cancer is only 15.9%, the five-year survival rate, whereas breast cancer has advanced to 98.6% and prostate cancer at 99.2% five-year survival. And um, the percentage of lung cancer diagnosed before it has spread is only 15%. And so um, for those of you who know Eric and his family, if you can you know, follow them and give support to them in this awful time. Um, and for those of you who don't, um, but if you can just become aware of what this is and, um, and let make people aware that just because you don't smoke doesn't mean you can't get lung cancer and you know, do what you can to um, protect yourself and protect your loved ones. So, um, but it was, uh, we're very sad to, to hear this news for Eric and we wish him the best. Um, but now one of the um, show alumni who's been in the news has been uh, Mark Rendaza. And uh, he, he's back from Italy where he was getting an LLM and uh, he also um, recently he criticized the uh, law firm of Mayor Brown and Platt. There's been a lawsuit that was been filed here in Los Angeles over the city of Glendale, California. Um, they posted a memorial to the Comfort Women of World War II, and Comfort Women were women that the, the Japanese Imperial Army had forced to become prostitutes and. Uh, so we were, we were short on time, but uh, you want to take a look at Mark's blog post on that, and there's also a blog on the cyberlawradio.com um, as well about that. And uh, Mark basically, it's an effort to whitewash history, and, and Mark rightfully pointed that out. But um, I want to thank um, Carl for joining us earlier today, and uh, I'll congratulate him once again. And um, this is Ben and Kelly with the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica. Um, we do a lot of the same stuff as Carl, and, uh, but it's always a pleasure to work with him. But if you want to give us a call, we're at internetlawcenter.net. And um, so tune in next week. We'll be here. The hardest will come beach. This is Bennett Kelly. You're listening to the Cyber Law Business Report. See, quarters adjourned. See you next week.